listening to Europe Calling with Vince Tracy and Barbara Ann. Europe Calling. Well, a very good day, everybody. Welcome to the Europe Calling podcast. Today's date, the 18th of April, 2023. Okay, our weather today is gorgeous. In a word, gorgeous. It's uh, not too hot, not at all cold. Just a bit of wind, the uh, definition on the mountain, absolutely lovely. And I think I shouldn't be contradicted as I welcome Barbara and the podcast. And uh, what do you think of today's weather? Gorgeous. <laughs> I, I second that uh, full 100%. Uh, yeah, it's just not too hot, uh, just how we like it, really. Okay, so uh, let's see what we've got today then. Having uh, reminded our audience that what the idea is, we look at items in the news, deciding whether they're being over-dramatised or whether maybe they're not being um, given enough publicity. So that's what the objective of the podcast is all about as we start off with our first one. So, of course, um, the claim is often made by many people now, not just uh, myself, uh, that everybody is getting dumbed down. And, uh, you know, whilst we're looking at idiot things and discussing that type of information from the little box that uh, in the 1980s when I was studying was described as the plug drug um, I think you can clearly see from certain things that there, there are aspects of television which are dreadful. Sometimes you'll see a programme and you think that is really good. But uh, we're looking at a programme which is called Britain's Got Talent. And the viewers uh, have slammed the show after one contestant set himself on fire to solve a Rubik's Cube. This was on Sunday of last week. And obviously, uh, people are getting onto Twitter very quickly. And they were fuming and branded the ridiculously dangerous moment totally unacceptable for a family show. Uh, The moment saw a professional stuntman, Thomas Vu, uh, covered in a fire-retardant gel before getting set alight as he quickly solved the iconic 80s puzzle. Despite the act receiving a standing ovation from the judges, those at home asked what the show has on earth come to when you see things like that. Um, Well, there were a couple of acts that um, certainly I want to discuss. That one, I've got to ask you first of all, did you see that? Yes, I certainly did. Um, And as as you said, and as lots of people have said, What's that got to do with uh, talent or Britain's got it? It's a talent, but does anybody want to, to sort of copy that? I don't think so. And as you say, it's not really a family 
uh, family sort of, um, sorry, um, what's the family to viewing thing that, that you want your children or anyone to see. It's quite distressing, actually, to think that somebody can uh, possibly even burn themselves, even though we had the retarded thing on. Uh, there's always possibilities of something going wrong. Yeah, I mean, r realistically, um, we've seen young children looking at the television. They stand and they gaze in admiration, in amazement. Uh, they sort of, I shouldn't really prejudge what they're actually thinking because nobody knows what goes on inside another person's head. But judging by the reaction of children, you can see that they usually like what they're watching and will stand gawping at the TV. Uh, that verb, by the way, for those that don't speak English as a first language, gawp is when you stand and don't really think too much about what's going on, but you just watch. Um, spelled I mean, G-A-W-P. Okay. I like the programme in general um, because it, it is a, 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 the reason I like it is it's supposed to be variety. I mean, it's from dancing, singing, magicians, um, you know, novelty acts. But that is not, to me, a novelty act that anybody would want to really repeat. Um, in comparison to that, there was a m really fantastic young boy uh, a young lad, I would say, I think he was uh, 13 or 12, and he was the most fantastic musician for his age, and also so confident with it. Now, that is what you can say. Well, he's got a talent. Um, and I don't really remember, there was another one, and it was a man expelling his... How would you say this? Well, they actually use the verb, so we may as well use it, because people are using English... Uh, and obviously some people will be picking up on words that we use. So and the verb is to fart, F-A-R-T, usually less used when people want to be polite. Exactly. So they sort of, one or two of the judges, I think, use the word, uh, whereas I think others talked about passing wind. So mm. that's the way that and you again, can not, use not, that. Um, not a very nice thing to sort of... Uh, witness or, or experience yourself in company. And this uh, supposedly it was talent... A Jap Japanese guy. Uh, ...was actually f um, using farting to uh, burst balloons and things like that. Well, to me, it was just disgusting. I mean, even one of the judges said it was absolutely disgusting. So I don't know why um, the people who decide who's going to go on these shows... Is it to shock? Presumably it is. But it's certainly not talent, is it? Well, if you remember what was happening, the actual position of the person to do this is sort of, I'm not going to say provocative, but to those people Unpleasant. that have got uh, rather strange minds, they would probably, you know, see something that most mainstream people see as revolting. They might see it in a different light. But... The point is that with most people, when you pass wind, uh, you ask for somebody to say, excuse I'm sorry, excuse, or excuse yeah. me, or something like that. Some well, people do it for a joke. Some people laugh. Some people think it's funny, especially some when... Some people are embarrassed. Especially, you know, especially not, when you've been eating something that makes a foul smell. Yeah. It's offensive yeah. as a general thing, but it's a bodily function that I'm told we do 14 times a day, yeah. as see that is given as a, a sort of figure but, every now and again. 
the point is, why would somebody want to use that um, that thing, that, that sort of uh, procedure, to to call it talent to to blow a balloon? I just didn't understand that at all. Didn't like it. Well, if you think about it, uh, the the idea was you you, you saw some sort of a uh, projectile inserted mm. in you know an orifice I'm, I'm keeping it as clean as i possibly can without being totally descriptive um and then uh, the, uh, uh, i think it was a, an arrow was fired or yeah. something I'm was fired sure. i'm not sure it was anything to do with the fart myself well okay so the thing is a it was inappropriate now why was it inappropriate I think it was inappropriate for two reasons. One, the programme tries to tell us that it's a competition with people who have talent, which uh, they then might be asked to pre- uh, to appear before royalty. Now, whether we like royalty or not, that's for other debates. But if it is to do that, and the winner, uh, the overall winner, does get invited to appear before royalty um then you know I, I wouldn't i wouldn't have thought that royal family members would particularly enthrall uh, mm. at such a thing i would think maybe the baby might the three-year-old or yeah. you know somebody yeah, but, like that but, but, I th- but i also think it's an insult to the other uh, artists appearing who have um, trained and practiced singing uh, practice the magician uh, you know things like that those have really worked hard and then you compare it with those two acts that we've just been talking about. It's just, it's just, it's unfair for the other artists, I think. Well, I think there's a couple of things to talk about. First and foremost, before that actually goes on to that programme, they have a selection process. Yes. So, so someone's decided. there's been somebody in the editorial bit of it who has said, oh, yes, we'll let that one go through. The we'll, researchers, we'll, yeah. we'll push another boundary and see how far we can take this. And then, of course, you've got uh, people who are supposed to be on the panel to judge the merits of the act. And two of the people on that panel obviously should not be on the panel because if they think that that is worthy of being seen again and putting before royalty at the top level, uh, then they obviously cannot judge what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. Mm. So I think that's another part to this. Um, I mean, I think we've seen for a long time that these panellists go too far. You know, the look of shock and horror uh, okay, well, if you're going to have a look of shock and horror, then it has to be equaled uh, by w- the way that you press your buzzer as to whether or not you're but going to say, I'm not going to want to see that again. Yeah, but don't you think also that um, it's not, uh, they're not look they're not on the television f- to go in front of royalty. They know very well that they're not going to. But it's a way of them um, publicising their act, if you want to call it an act, uh, to give them promotion, maybe somebody weird wants them to, to do it in their cabaret club or, or whatever. But I think it's more for publicity for that person, not not because they want to um, do it in front of uh, the royalty. It's just that they want to A, be on the television and B, let people see what they do in case they want to book them. If you've got a, a group of people who want to do that in their own time, in their own way in their own premises and have a bit of fun I think you know that's for each and every one of us to decide but if you're going to put a program out on national television 
then obviously the editorial was wrong. The person that chose that to go on before the uh, the panel was totally wrong. Uh, so, you know, I think that's where we'll leave that one. As we move to the second of our talking points for today. Here we go. Okay, so the second of our newspaper topics, um, the question was asked, why did they walk away? Social workers visited baby Finley Bowden's mess-strewn home two days before parents beat him to death, but didn't insist on seeing him, even when they spotted his mother buying drugs. And then it goes on um, a little bit later in the article. Stephen Bowden, this is a 30-year-old person, and Shannon Marsden, a 22-year-old, murdered, listen to this, age 10-month-old Finley Bowden on Christmas Day 2020 during lockdown. So everybody was having a a terrible time, uh, difficulties everywhere. Uh, But this poor little 10-month-old child suffered 71 bruises, which is bad enough, 57 fractures. This is a baby of 10 months we're talking about. 57 fractures and crushed and twisted bones. Social workers had raised concerns before Finley was even born due to concerns over the state of the family home and his parents' drug use. He was removed from their care immediately after he was born. This was in February of 2020. But he was returned in November that year. Uh, Social workers saw the vulnerable child for the last time on November the 27th despite numerous further visits to the old Whittingham home. During the final visit on December the 23rd, Bowden came to the front door and said the child was asleep because he was not very well before closing the door in the social worker's face. (sighs) You know, I read that and uh, I feel upset even just reading it. You know, look at the size of your own children uh, or any children in your vicinity and think of a 10-month-old with 57 fractures. Well, It's pain, unbelievable, isn't it? The pain he must have been in, the poor kid, you know, it really upsets me. It makes me feel upset even now talking about it. But uh, how many times have we heard when they say, we learn from our lessons? I mean... For goodness sake, I mean, I used to have to check houses for many years ago uh, to see if the house was fit for uh, foreign students, for instance, whether it was clean and especially the bathroom and the bedrooms and the kitchen. And that was just for foreign students to visit for two weeks. I mean, these social visitors or social, yeah, social visitors, can't they see that when they go into a house like that, um, don't, don't the alarm bells ring? Don't the alarm bells ring when they won't enter, won't let them enter the house? I mean, if a baby's asleep, you can still look at the baby and you can look at the interior of the house. It's just sort of unbelievable. And they say they're overworked, but yes, they can be overworked. But if they've visited the house, that means somebody has been on the case. 
and they visited a couple of times apparently and they didn't gain entrance. He was only back in the home, I think, 39 days from being returned. Um, that poor child must have had all those injuries in just over one month of being with what they call the parents. It's just unbelievable. Well, the, the, the problem, you know, I, I uh, was talking on another podcast uh, with Matt King about a similar situation, really. But we were looking at how you can put the great back in Great Britain. You know, that was the topic. And uh, I think one of the problems must be identified that there's a difference between having sex and trying to have a child or maybe having a, a child and then the father goes missing or you've got two, um, you know, it, it's hard to generalise because some young people are brilliant. But uh, we're talking about a 30-year-old bloke and a 22-year-old lady. Well, that's roughly the age that, um, you know, I had my first uh, child, not that far off it. Um, what would be your sort of first age, roughly to that? 23, 23. So when you think back, you see, we're not, talk we're not talking about children. We're not talking about children at all here. We're talking about young, young adults. adults and we're talking about people who basically um, don't know how to bring up a family. They don't probably want to know how to bring up a family. Well, they must be, if you look back, maybe even to their parents, but it's not always the parents' fault. I mean, it's all about peer, um, you know, whoever you go around with. If you get into a wrong crowd at a very young age, I would imagine in inner cities it's very difficult. We've been lucky because we've always lived out of the cities. We've never lived in inner cities. But it, it, it must be very difficult once you're in that sort of group. And if you get no help, I mean, they're saying now that the government are, are cutting back on mental illnesses. There's a waiting list for a year or more for someone to be uh, seen. But I still put it down to who decided, who decided that that little boy was fit to go, or they were fit, to have him back again. No, no, I, I think th th that, I think, uh, we can really criticise. Uh, I think most people could see that. But what most people don't seem to want to see is that something is happening before the child is actually born. born. Yeah. So uh, we then ask ourselves, why do people think that you just have sex and uh, basically muck around, a child comes, and then, you know, um, they don't look after the child. So something is going wrong. And when you look at TV, you do see in programmes that somebody gets pregnant. But what you don't seem to see very often in any um, drama or anything uh, of substance, you don't really see the way that you should look after your children, the way that um, people can commend people for doing a good job, the, go way, the way that you can castigate and chastise young men in particular who spread their wild oats and then do a runner or mm. don't look after the yeah, child. But, but also there's, t there's other, other ways of looking at it. There is prevention of um, pregnancy. There has been prevention since uh, I was a young girl. Uh, you know, you can either take the pill or the boy, uh, you know, wears, um, wears the Dorex. So there is a way of stopping being pregnant. I mean, it's not just a case. It's just because uh, 
I don't know why they don't seem to take any responsibility for having a baby. And there also are classes. I do know there's classes for young young adults to show, you know, to help you if you haven't got a, a parent or a grandparent to sort of help you in the early, but let's, early months. But let's stick with the TV because this is where so many of the influences have come from. And the TV is never challenged properly. I, you never see... I don't remember anyway. I don't remember ever seeing a program which is saying there are far too many unwanted pregnancies, but there are young people having babies and they There's maybe no need to be shown how to look to after the child. Or to no, prevent. to look after the child. The child's arrived, so it's too late for prevention. Oh, right, yeah. But they can, they can prevent this problem, can't yeah, they? Is there a programme? Have, have, have I missed something? Has there ever been a programme where you're shown how to look after the child and, mm. you know, things like changing nappies and, you know, preparing the food and how to hold not, the baby? There's a programme on the television, but there are many um classes that you can go to but it's a voluntary thing no but we're, no but uh, we're getting away from my point my point is the television that too many people and we all do it sit and gawp at the television maybe they're on documentaries Vince, or maybe but i've never i've never seen it because i've never wanted to scroll down and see if there is a program like that okay well let's go to uh maybe the prevention bit then because um in school when i was growing up we had a religious half hour every single day of the week. So if I didn't know how to behave properly by the end of the time I came out of school, something was radically wrong. And unfortunately, I do hear a lot of other Catholics always going on about their school, telling everybody how bad it was. Sorry, it was religious and moral education. And I'm sorry if you don't see the relevance of that. Um, certainly, I can see it throughout the whole of the newspapers that I'm, I'm reading online. So... Um, yeah, but again, it's it's the good and the bad, isn't it? There's some fantastic, many, many fantastic Catholic schools. But then you will get the odd few that are, were over strict. OK, what was given in your school for, for moral and religious guidance? Well, we had religious education for a start, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I mean, now there's so many different religions, so it's a good thing to know about other religions and everything and, and not appreciate them, but understand them. Um, but now I don't know why they think that they've just completely stopped education in English um, comprehensive grammar schools uh, because religious education used to be a GCSE or an, an A level. Um, and it would give you the backing of um, of certain moral things, as you're talking about. But I we had uh, sex education, but very, very, um, very minor sort of thing, not into great detail, more into science and the biology side. But we were taught it. OK, well, we, we I mean, I think we we only really had a couple of real hardcore sex uh, lessons. I mean, the rest of it was all about, you know, just living a decent life. I mean, to be fair to the people who were teaching us, 
it, it's a difficult subject to teach, mm. you know, because the sex thing does get humorous. I've seen one or two clips on TV and it's always, you know, a condom and a banana. You know, it's almost like people have, have never really wanted to teach that subject. But the, uh, what about the care of looking after a baby? Because this is what the problem was in this case. Yeah. What, what sort of um, education did you get for that? Well, no... <laughs> Well, nothing really, because um, I had a fantastic mother. I had a fantastic mother-in-law. Um, I really learned by the way I was brought up. Um, my mum helped me a lot. Luckily, my mum was a nurse, but that, that didn't mean that you know, she knew it. But she was a mum, and she was, she'd been taught by her mum. So some of these girls most probably haven't got a parent that's uh, in touch with or has brought them up properly. I, I don't know, but usually it's family that help you, the early, especially in the early days. Uh, you, you, you've got to say you can maybe empathise with a child crying and making a noise when you're tired. and mm, you know. Well, that happens to everyone. So I, I, I can understand that it can happen. But when you come to 71 bruises and mm. 57 fractures, that to me suggests out of control, complete. Mm. So how do you actually, I, I don't want to use the word punish, but it's got to be used. How do you punish somebody who does that to, um, you know, a child? What, what, what's the punishment? Should they never, should, I mean, if it was an animal, they would be banned from keeping an animal, Animals wouldn't they? forever, yeah. I mean, yeah, what can you do? Um you know, they'll say they're sorry and all the rest of it. And they'll say, I was on drugs and everything, really. They'll make make excuses for everything. It wasn't their fault and all this carry on. But I still, I still will say blame, but I still think that the social services should have been on their case a lot more every single day, not just once a week or whenever it was. Because we're talking about 39 days. We're not talking like I think months. the other thing, though, is that if you've got social workers, social workers get qualified by having a certificate, like everybody in, in all sorts of jobs. It doesn't qualify you for some of the things that really uh, a job like that entails. Because if you go into a house which is absolutely filthy, um, I could imagine a lot of the social workers would be pretty pleased to get away from that situation, get out back into the office. Yeah, but th that, uh, yeah, but that should br uh, flow up straight up uh, uh, alarm bells, shouldn't it? I mean, well, I would have thought. Thing, I would have thought you go straight back to the office, and the supervisor comes I'm out. Worried, with you. I'm worried about this child. And the two of know. them then go and make a decision. And they make and they make it uh, uh, forceful to go in, even if it was with the police. You don't just say no at the front door and walk away. If you're really worried about something, you push it more and more. And they could have had police um, saying that they wanted to enter. So there's no excuse, really. No we, excuse. We, I certainly come from a time when we didn't have social workers. They didn't exist. And I think part of the problem is that people are encouraged always to think more of the safety net than the prevention of getting anywhere near that safety net. And I think, quite honestly, I go back to my comments about the television. All the time you have this sex and violence. basically, as you say, violence. And you don't really... I can't remember seeing 
looking after young children, maternal care, uh, how to be a good parent. You know, I think there's definitely a need for that sort of programme. Oh, and maybe there are sort of um, individual videos that you can get from the library or from the surgery. They might have, uh, I would imagine they do, because... You learn how used to learn how to put a nappy on. Well, now you don't have to do that because they're disposables. But I mean, I'm talking back when I had, um, you know, cotton nappies. You had to be taught how to put them on. But again, I didn't really need it because my mum was there to to show me how to do it. I think also people uh, they are lazy today. A lot of people in in that sort of situation that we've described probably wouldn't just have that little bit of oomph to go and put a video on and, and um, maybe get the instruction they need. I think probably, thinking back to my teaching days, I can relate very quickly to the sort of people that I could imagine getting into that situation. Probably a bit unfair. Let's go to another one. We're going to talk nail polish next. So this, I think, might be a, uh, a real a real eye-opener for you, maybe. I don't know. Okay, so there has been a proliferation over the previous 10 years of uh, places where you can go and get your nails done. I walk past, I see the girls doing it, um, and obviously uh, it should be a nice part of um, just looking nice. Um, But I read this and I thought, well, I'll get a lady's point of view on this. The chemicals in gel nail polishes, known as methacryolates, They can trigger an allergic reaction if they leak into the skin, which can see nails loosen and the skin develop a severe itchy rash. So these are experts again. And those who suffer this reaction are then unable to tolerate being exposed to the chemical, which is used in routine procedures such as fillings and hip replacements. Okay, at-home gel manicures are the most likely culprit for triggering the painful reaction. But even salon nail treatments can pose a risk if the technician is poorly trained. Dermatologists who warn that cases of the reaction are on the rise today urge Brits to only get a real uh, gel manicure from a fully trained professional. So, okay, I don't know enough about this. I'm going to find out from you in a minute. Uh, So I looked at the comments to give myself a little bit more insight as to what, you know, other people might be saying. And so there's a lady from the Midlands. Uh, I do my own gel nails at home. My nails are much healthier now. As when I had it done in a salon, there was usually a rush to remove the old gel before reapplying new stuff. I take my time and don't damage my nails. I'm a well-educated person and I've taken the time to learn about how an allergy occurs and I protect myself against this. I mainly use, is it Hema Free Gel now as it's available. Saying to only get it done by a professional is not necessarily good advice. They may not have a lot of experience. They may not fully appreciate the ramifications of a potential allergy And they may work or have worked in a salon where hygiene could be pretty lax. So they themselves are pretty lax. I would advise anyone to look into what people should be doing before getting nails done by a professional. 
Um, saying that, as professionals, they are exposed more so at risk at, um, of an allergy than their clients. So I would hope most take precautions seriously. OK, now, I don't really know much about this, so I really rely on your expertise now. So um, did you know about these methacrylates? No, no, I didn't. Um, as you know, I I, uh, I do my nails. Oh, I, I don't do them. I go to a very, very, I would say, professional uh, salon. Um, I only went, funny enough, I only went yesterday. Um, they take roughly an hour, an hour to take the nail varnish off, to pedicure, to clean them, uh, to get every scrap off um, before they even put the nail varnish on. So, and my nails are very, very healthy, more healthy now uh, than they were two years ago when I started very recently to have my nails done on a regular basis. Um, I do only tend to have them once a month because my nails grow fairly slowly, but they're very strong and they're very healthy. And they never cut my nails, they never hurt me, but I was absolutely su really surprised that they take nearly 50 minutes just to take off the old stuff and clean them and pedicure the dead skin. The, that procedure is the longest part of the whole procedure. I seem to remember you telling me that you'd been to various other uh, places that, yeah. uh, that do the same. So um, are there variations oh, between God. them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one I'm actually going to go and keep going to now is dearer. I mean, uh, uh, it's another 10 euros more. But um, the time that they take to do the, the first procedure or the first two or three procedures is far in excess of any other shop. Normally, I'm out in half an hour, three quarters of an hour for the whole thing to be done. You see, there were two two ways that I was looking at this article. Um, it's this constant um, drain on people about, you know, giving us gloomy stuff to think about. You know, this is wrong, that's wrong. Uh, we've got all these horrible events happening every single day of the week. And I just think that it's rather nice when a lady can go and spend a bit of time, a exactly. bit of me time, exactly. you know, being that, pampered. I, I quite like that, actually. Yeah, no, I, I well, I, I do like it. And I've never done it before because I've had the children to bring up. And just never, it's never been in my uh, bracket to uh, pay for things like that. But now, as everybody knows, it's much more popular for ladies and children or girls, sorry, uh, to have their nails done. And it is. You do feel better. You've, and my nails, I uh, can't cook for anybody, but my nails are so much stronger than they were when I, was, when I was a lot younger or even only a few years ago. So I've got no complaints at all. But I must say, uh, you've got to go to, uh, I would say, you've got to try and test a few places. And then when you decide, you stick to that one. From a man's point of view, um, you know, I, I walk past the salon and, of course, all the girls are in there and, you know, you're normally about four or five people being um, pampered, if you like. So, uh, I mean, do you find that you have a chat with these girls and, you you know, is, yeah. it, is it a bit of downtime for mums in particular or any, any uh, females? Because most of the females that I know are always busy looking after the house, looking after the family, doing the things that obviously that young lady that didn't look after 
her little baby wasn't able to do. Yeah, but for having said that about women, um, there was actually yesterday there were two men there, and I, I said you to do, and she said, but it's mostly pedicure to do the toenails, and to take all the dead skin off uh, and get um, you know olive you know oil on the heels and and cut the toenails. Um, and also I said, well, what about nails? And she said, oh, yeah, they don't have any varnish on, but they come to have their nails uh, trimmed and pedicure all the dead skin around the nails. Because a lot of men, she said, what, you know, it's very important to have nice fingernails. A solicitor, she was saying, doctors, anybody that's showing their hands a lot. Uh, do take pride in their nails. Well, listen, I understand that because uh, when I was working in a, um, as a manager, one of the things we had to do was to make sure that the reps, when they went to see their customers, didn't have dirty fingernails. Mm -hmm. And again, in another area of my life, in my judo, um, we used to start the judo class. And if I saw somebody with long nails, I used to have to say to them, um, sorry, you know, until you actually just trim your toenails and your fingernails, I can't let you on the mat. Well, exactly. But I think that's one of the first things you see in anybody, male or female, uh, if their fingernails are clean and uh, or long or dirty or whatever, or they've got nicotine down all the face, it, it gives a bad impression, I think. It gives you an impression that maybe the hygiene in, el in other places is very good. Well, it does make you wonder, when you go back to when we were all locked down and everything, uh, why that was never sort of made compulsory to have to wear gloves. If you think about it, because if you know, if you, if you transmit germs from shaking hands and uh, doing all the other things, and we're just talking mm. about dirty fingernails and everything, but you had to wear gloves when you were in the shops, when you were when you were buying oh, that food. Didn't, that didn't last long, Han. Mm, no, well, yeah, they they tried to introduce it here to, uh, before the COVID, uh, when they started doing um, instead of having vegetables and everything in in packs that people were sort of saying, well, what about the person who lives on their own or there's only, they don't need, you know, a half a dozen oranges. They just want one or two. So they started quite a lot, very much so. Um, it's all open packs, out of plastic. And they do say that you should wear gloves because you're touching, you know, all the other produce. It's not in a packet. But that's been going not just because of COVID. Um, and they don't enforce it, but the gloves are there if you want to use them. Okay. Interesting. All food for thought as we move on uh, to our next topic. Where should we go? Yes. Okay, we're going next to a mum uh, who has received a backlash on TikTok. TikTok, of course, social media platform. I always thought more for kids, really. It's all little videos and every now and again something worthwhile might appear, might be worth looking at, but a lot of very uh, trite stuff. Anyway, um, this is for keeping her dog after it bit her small child, leaving her daughter with scars, needing stitches on her face. Uh, obviously, because it's written as the mom, so it's um, either the AI not realising that the British tend to say mum rather than mom, called uh, Clara Tsetkin on the video sharing platform, defended her decision not 
to have Bart the dog taken away or put down after he bit her three-year-old daughter Milana so obviously from the east of Europe uh, in origins probably Um, though Clara claims that the Cocker Spaniel bit her child she argued on TikTok that he never attacked her daughter and alleges that it acted in self-defense he was very sick she said in one video and tries to hide under the bed Uh, his hind legs gave out and he couldn't crawl away Our three-year-old daughter did not understand that the dog needs to rest today and not touch him. She began to touch him even more, sit on him and climb into his face and hurt him. In another clip, Clara suggests that she and her husband divorced because of her refusal to get rid of the animal. Right. uh, Now, we both like dogs. Uh, We both don't like children being injured by dogs. Um, But... There's sounds to be a margin there uh, for really. Uh, mm. I don't know what was shown in this uh, well, um, you've, I mean, particular TikTok thing. Both of our boys have got dogs, uh, and they've got family, and they've uh, one uh, one has five and a three-year-old. Had the dog ever since before they were born, and the other son again got three children, but they're more teenagers, so. It doesn't really matter if you have to respect animals for a start. You have to respect the fact that they can't tell you, leave me alone, I'm tired, you're hurting me. I mean, we know, for instance, that um, one of our grandchildren have sat on them, pulled their ears, pulled their tail. um, And you've got to obviously train your children to to respect the dog. Uh, and you don't hurt, you know. You you don't expect a dog to not retaliate if somebody sits on their foot or, or pulls their ear. Um, it is a very dubious thing. But if he might have just snapped at her if she was very close to him and she's caught, he's caught the lip. But for a cocker spaniel to do that, it must have been quite excessive because cocker spaniels, as a rule, aren't aggressive at all. The very, I mean, we had um, cavaliers, didn't we? My mum had three, well, uh, and we've had a Labrador. Um, but cockers, um, spaniels in general aren't aggressive, so something must have happened where he just snapped to keep to, um, you know, to to stop doing whatever the child was doing. Okay, uh, so without seeing this particular video, I'm only able to comment on what has been written in the article. So uh, this particular mother must probably have shown the child's face because, I mean, if it's uh, telling us in the article that the dog never attacked her daughter, um, she's alleged that it acted in self-defence. Just a snap, a a snap. But but according to what I'm reading, um, that uh, uh, the dog left scars... And obviously, um, you know, that child has now got to live with scars for the rest of her life. Now, I, I'm beginning to think a bit more about the, you know, the, the mother and uh, how the dog has been allowed to probably just uh, roam around the house. The, the child very often pulling its ear or, mm, exactly, you know, pulling exactly. its tail or whatever. Maybe the solution would have been or could be. Uh, to put the dog in a foster home for a while or another member of the family until the child um, 
respects the fact that you don't pull a tail and you don't uh, tease a dog because after all it is it's an animal you know so they anybody's got to respect a dog well there was uh, the um a bit further on in the art, the article, it said that uh, Sir Clara suggests that she and her husband divorce because of her refusal to get rid of the animal. Now, I really think there's probably a little bit more in that then because, you know, it's not really going to be a question of divorce unless there's been really a little bit of violence before. That probably suggests to me that the dog has done it before. Or, or I mean, how how long are we talking? You don't suddenly get divorced in months, do well, you? Well, we don't know. You see from articles, but this is what I mean about what we see re- and read you, in you the just paper. Get told a little bit of it, don't you? You know, really? uh, there's there's obviously a bit more depth of uh, of what really you need to know before you can really get into that particular mm. situation. In a general sense, I mean, if the child is a three. Can you really tell a three-year-old child that you must not do that to the dog? Yeah. And, and would a three-year-old really understand, do you think? Well, you've got to keep saying it because um, Teddy is only three. And he, sometimes he does, you know, lean against uh, their dog too, too, you know, too heavily or whatever or pull his tail. But not so much now. But you've, you've got to be constantly telling them. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, it. You know, you're hurting, or he'll bite you, or you've got to repeat the same instructions over and over again when it, when you've got a child. Is there an argument for maybe not having a pet while you've got very young children, say, you know, four or five onwards? Three does seem quite young, really. Well, again, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, our son had the dog before the children. So the dog's grown up with the children um, and the children gr- have grown up with the dog. It, it just depends on the dog, really. I mean, if you're talking bull terriers and, uh, you know, Alsatians, and it, uh, even then, it, it's the way you train the dog and the way you are with the dog. If, you're not, if a dog is aggressive, sometimes it's something to do with the way it's been brought up. It might have been left in the sh- outside, tied up and all that If you that think about on. it... Children try biting as well, don't they? Exactly. I mean, they go through through a biting stage. If they can't get their own way, they bite. And so, can you remember how you sorted that one out? Did it happen? It did happen, and I'm afraid, you know, you how could how can you do it apart from a tiny little bite I mean I don't really like to say that but I mean maybe you should show them how it hurts but only a tiny it is tiny difficult it is you know I mean if you're going to be judge and jury then you know um this is where you've got to look at all the angles before you make your judgment okay let's find our next one then so we'll go to this Okay, uh, do you remember the song "If I Was a Rich Man"? <coughs> yes, yes. If I was a rich man, well, the star fiddle on the roof. <coughs> uh, the star was a guy called Topol, 
And I was reading that actually he was a Mossad agent and he went on daring missions around the world. His family, you know, sort of told everybody this after his death. Uh, He was an Israeli actor and he died aged 87 and he had a secret double life of adventure and courage in between stints on the stage, although he gained fame for his depiction of Tevi in Shalom, a stage musical, and then later in the 1971 film adaptation, his off-life, um, his off-stage life was even more extraordinary. His family says he used his London home as a base to welcome Mossad spies sent from Israel, who he plotted with to use his VIP status to gain entry to sensitive locations. The trips usually targeted the embassies, airports, airlines of Israelis' Arab enemies. Uh, all this revealed by his widow, Galia, and the children, Adi and Omer, in an interview with Israeli paper Haaretz. I haven't heard of that, I must admit. Omer told the publication, I don't know exactly what the appropriate definition is for the missions and duties he performed, but what is clear is that Dad was involved in secret missions on behalf of the Mossad. What do you think about that? I don't really know. I I mean, it's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? I mean, I've only ever known him as an actor and a singer and in films. Um, this has definitely been a secret side of his life that's only obviously come to light after his death. Well, I'll tell Why you did he keep it a secret? Uh, well, I'll tell you what it uh, means to me. It means that if it was going on then, it's obviously still going on now. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't mean necessarily uh, with that particular gentleman because, you know, he's come to the end of his life. Um, but it does make me wonder how many other people there are who basically have this, um, you, you know, this uh, ability to be maybe one thing to the public and then have exactly. a secret life. Because obviously I'd never uh, even, it hadn't even crossed my mind no, actually, I've got to no, be honest. No. Um, but of course the very fact that he, that he was Israeli would be something that these days I would imagine probably... I mean, he might have even been under surveillance. I wouldn't have thought so. But, um, you know, it was a strange one, that, isn't it? Yeah, very strange. Very unexpected, anyway. Because, uh, as I say, I, I was th- I always remember him as fiddle on the roof and, and a jolly type of person. He's obviously been in other things, but that's his, uh, his fam- most famous, I would say, for English people or us. Maybe he's been in other films in his, you know, for Israel. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, very strange. Can't really get around that one. Okay, let's uh, find another one for us then. We'll go to this one. Um. Okay, so now I'm looking at an article that uh, I certainly didn't hear anything about on the TV, uh, but it's a an academy from the Vatican, and it's been set up to investigate mystical phenomena around the world, including weeping statues of the Virgin Mary, 
stigmata and ghost sightings under plans for a new dedicated observatory. The Pontifical Mariana International Academy, which describes itself as a scientific institution of the Holy See, uh, will hope to uncover around 100 ongoing phenomena in Italy alone. The Specialist Observatory, which is still awaiting authenticity by the Church, will evaluate and study apparitions and mystical phenomena across the globe. Vatican News uh, was reporting this. It will delve into ghost sightings, interior locutions and stigmata, which believers see as bodily marks, scars or pains corresponding to the crucifixion wounds of Jesus Christ. On the launch of the new observatory, Scientific Committee Mariologist Father Gian Matteo Roggio told local Italian media in Italy there are around 100 ongoing phenomena that the church is following closely. So, um, you obviously must keep a little bit of an eye on these types of things. Yeah, I mean, I've heard about the weeping uh, statue with the, with the, um, the tears. Yeah, definitely. That's very famous. Um, I'd, I, I want to believe, and I think I do believe, in um, sort of uh, apparitions and people have seen an angel coming down. And uh, I think, you know, I think it, it is happening. Um, I'd love, I've, we've been to a few um, spiritual places where um, Mary's supposed to have appeared and uh, or angels have appeared. And it's it is fascinating, um, but if they're going to do a bit of uh, research on it, and uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Um, there was a very famous uh, priest called Padre Pio, and the stigmata appeared in his hands. That's right. Yeah. And I remember that you know uh, when times were different. I mean, at the moment, just about anything that can uh, dishonor. Um, Christian belief and I'm not talking about any particular one brand of Christian belief but you know um, there are lots of Christians that believe in the likes of the stigmata because they've seen it mm. um, so we do know that uh, there are things called psychosomatic things that you know your, your brain uh, and your body might be sort of reproducing mm. independently mm. of each other but they, they always will come together at a point so, you know, the likes of the stigmata does exist. Um, when you actually look at um, everyday things that are happening, many times um, we've been watching things like the TV quiz show. And you do see that there's uh, uh, maybe other religions are always asked as a question. And then occasionally you'll get a, a Christian religion question. Um, but it's almost as if there is um, some way of trying to discredit Christianity, which has been going on for a long time. I am probably aware of it because of the fact that I am quite happy to tell people that's what my belief is. Now, um, nobody's going to know whether I'm right or wrong, nor, nor will I till mm. the day that we go uh, to another place, um, you know. But it does really, it does beg the question about uh, belief and I look at things like a little ant and you look at little ants all moving round independently and then you look at, say, an elephant. So we end up with the three letters, the ant, but this time with an elephant, meaning a huge animal. And 
I don't know about you, but my mind boggles. If you want to get to religion or anything like that, I always think that's a good good starting place to see the difference between those two different yeah, little, an insect, a little tiny insect and a huge creature. It's sort of um, ongoing, isn't it? It's... Uh, we often say, you know, how how is all these millions and trillions of things created? I mean, you only have to look at the sea, and they're still discovering uh, plants and fish that no one's ever seen before. Um, it's a, it's a fabulous thing, the world. I mean, um, whether or not you believe in aliens from other other uh, stars and planets, I don't know, but. I always think it can't just be us. It can't just be uh, Earth. It's got to be other other planets as well. But again, we'll never know until it's proved. I mean, th- where aliens are concerned, uh, that's been kept uh, very much secret uh, sightings and they don't seem to want to publicise it as much as maybe they should do. So maybe, again, we don't know all the facts. Maybe they do know there's aliens or, or, or not. They call them aliens, but uh, people that live on another planet um, that could be even more advanced than we are. But we'll never know. We'll never know. I think the people, the, the people that are um, like the scientists and the uh, people like that, they want, and the governments, they want to keep certain things a secret from the general public, always have done and most probably always will. But if they were looking, seeing aliens in, um, I think it was, I, I think I saw one, I've got, I'm on an alien site and it was 1932 and it was an obvious alien um, ship because an aeroplane was, was running alongside it. I mean, you can't... Um, you can't deny that that happens. A, a but the trouble is with the technology, you could reproduce things. I know, but a pilot isn't going to say that he's got a, a flying object running alongside him. What about... Why, why would he want to say that? What about places where the, the Virgin Mary is... Um, has been allegedly appearing to children. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what what places have you been to, and what, what do you, did well, you think? Well, we've been to places in France, haven't we? We've been to places in Spain, and hopefully, we're going to see somewhere. Is it Portugal? Yeah, a, a famous one. It's just nice to go to these places um, to see for yourself. But it's obviously has happened. You know, it's just obvious it's happened. So, but it's something greater than us, isn't it? It's something we, as you say, until we die, none of us know what's going to happen when we die. I mean, it's it's all a big mystery anyway. I'd rather believe that there is life after death than not believe life after death. I can't understand why people want to kill each other for believing something different. Exactly. And I really think that if you've got to that point that you have to kill somebody because they have a different way of looking at something, Mm. um, then really you must be very unsure of what you believe in. Yeah. Again, I I can't understand that. The the religion uh, can cause so much upset. Um, I mean, I've said this to you many, many times. Why can't we just all live in peace? But it'll never happen because what about you, you get greedy people forever, won't you? What about a religion where the males and the females can't even pray together? I What's find that? that very, very well, extraordinary. I'll never understand that because, uh, you know, if you both believe in the same, uh, the same religion, why on earth are you separated? 
why is it that the female isn't given um, as much um, thought about than, than than the male? I mean, it, 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 you're separating the male and female from the very beginning of being married. Okay, food for thought. Uh, that's it. That's our look at what's in the papers over the last week or so. And uh, we hope you've uh, just found it interesting and maybe raises a few questions in your own mind uh, and helps you get away from the TV for a while. Yeah. Barbara Ann, thank you very much for your company. Okay. I'll go and have a nice cup of tea. You have your nice <laughs> cup English. of tea. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>